Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, standing for just a little bit longer as I read for you my reading, which is actually contained in the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, isn't it a beautiful day? All right. My sermon today is called Many Moving Parts. Everybody say, Many Moving Parts. My text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 19. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says this, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Everybody say, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, then where were the body? It's a good question. All right, let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for taking us and making us into what you want us to be for your glory and placing us in the body how you have seen fit for your glory. In Christ's name, we pray that you would illuminate your word, that you would speak to us, that you would change us by it today. Amen. You may be seated. Everybody say, many moving parts. You know, what a great picture the Apostle Paul gave the Roman Christians on how things work in the kingdom of God. It should be just as clear to us today as it was to them. You don't have to be a scientist to know that a body is not an eye alone. A body is not an ear alone. Although they get to do things that the other parts of the body don't do, that doesn't make the other parts of the body less important. You know, what would an eye be without the feet to hold the body up? What would, it, what would you know, the, the mouth be without lungs to push air out of it for it to sing and to talk? Or what would it be, any of it be without the brain to tell it what to say? And many times I think we get our own importance, uh, we get it mixed up. Our importance doesn't lie in the thing that we do that makes us different. Our importance lies in the fact that we are put together into a body that can do something amazing. Amen? I can imagine no finger could uh, you know, triumph that the, that the fact that it's attached to the body you know, of 
a concert pianist as though somehow on its own it played, you know, the Moonlight Sonata or the Flight of the Bumblebee or whatever it is that it was playing. Everybody knows that the finger without the hand, without the arm, without the mind would be nothing. It could do nothing. God's made us all different and we have different roles. And if we didn't, then we wouldn't be a body. And so that's the other point that's being made here. That if we weren't different and we didn't have different roles, we wouldn't be a body at all. A body is completely different parts. Ears and nose and mouth and hands. They're very, very different. An ear, uh, the hand could say, all you do is sit there. You don't even move. Now, there are people who can move their ears. In fact, I've seen some of the little boys try it and they do this, you know, and the ears move. But that would be a special circumstance, right? Ears don't move a lot, right? They don't uh, complete, you know, uh, two points or three point shots. Ears don't do, have any part of that. But the ear can't be offended that it can't do what another part of the body does. But without all of the parts together, it wouldn't really be a body at all. Some of us in the church are eyes of the church. We see things and we tell the body about what we see. But we all can't be eyes. We must learn to trust our eyes and understand their value. But we all can't be eyes no matter how much we want to be. It even addresses the fact, and I think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul puts it this way, if the ear says, well, if I'm not the eye, then I'm not part of the body. And the question is, well, is he now not part of the body? Well, the answer is, yeah, he actually still is. Even if he doesn't like the part that he plays, even if he wishes he was somebody else, he's still part of the body anyway. I think that's pretty funny that God included it that way. And I really think it's funny that, that God had him include a sense of smell, as if that's important. What is that? Well, it's actually pretty important. We see things and, and uh, we must learn to trust the other members of the body. If everyone were an eye, then how would the body that is the church hear anything? For a body to be a body, there must be many moving parts. Everybody say, many moving parts. Many. Eyes and ears and hands and feet and mouth and brain, the different parts all together make a body. It takes away the ability for any part of the body to brag. Now, no one takes selfies. Well, no normal people take selfies of their kneecaps, you know. Uh, no one takes a, a selfie of your shoulder unless you've got a tattoo on it or whatever. And hopefully none of you have any. Well, you might have tattoos on, but hopefully you're not taking selfies of that. But the face gets all of the attention. It gets, you know, it's called Facebook. I mean, seriously, you know. And so it says, you know, somehow these other parts aren't being paid attention. Well, honestly, what does the face do anyway? It does nothing. The face doesn't hear and it doesn't smell and it doesn't see. It's just, it's just this thing that's here, you know. And the Bible says there are parts that get a lot of honor, like your face, that actually don't do anything. You can live without a face, you know. You can survive. You can still hear. You can do all that. We need to remind it of this in the world that we live because the world we live does everything it can to conform us to being alike. It's always pressing and pushing and, and, and wanting us to be alike. And, and we, we see this in the public school. Everyone's going to be educated the same and they all are going to learn the same stuff and they all have to pass the same test. We can even as uh, people fall into this. Folks, you know God's given us children that would never pass normal tests and who cares? They're a gift to the body of Christ because they don't turn out like you think they ought to because they don't do what this world has decided is normal. That's all right. I've got 
a lot of that going on in my house. I've got kids who are a little bit different than other kids and they learn a little bit different and think a little bit different and there are things that they can't do and things that they can do. And you know, that could bother me and I could just beat them into it or I could just say, what gifts has God given my children and what can they do for the kingdom of God? Because the center of all that our lives are about is not living in an American society. It's not being a part of the machine of economy that, you know, churns out a GDP or creates personal peace and happiness. But the center of our world is the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. And in the body, we're not angry that certain parts of our body are special and they can't do other things, are we? Are we mad about that? I'm not mad. I could name some of my children that can't do some of the things that I can. And I could be frustrated. I could say, what could I do to get them to do that? Some of them may look at me and go, man, if I could do what my dad does... Well, if everybody did what their dad did, who would do what they do? Amen? And so this is in our thinking. It's in our mind. We need to be transformed, not conformed. The world wants to conform us to all being alike because it's afraid if we find out the different gifts that we have, then we'll be a body, which will be a powerful thing for them to contend with. We need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to resist being conformed by the world. We are all in, so insecure. We're so prone to mistrust. We're so fiercely independent and self-sustaining. We compare ourselves among ourselves constantly, despite the scriptural imperative that we do no such thing. Can you, can you apply these scriptures to a body? Imagine if a hand is comparing itself to a foot. Isn't that the silliest thing ever? Like, why would a hand waste its time? You know what? I mean, the foot, man, you know, it gets new shoes. I mean... You know, I only get to wear clothing in the winter when it's cold, you know. And, and, but it's what we do. We look at other people's houses. We look at other people's children. We look at other people's gifts. We look at other people's amount of money that they have. And we look at it all and we go, I wish I had that. I mean, why don't I have that? I mean, I, des- I should have that. Isn't that what we do? God, that's not what God says that we should be doing. We're so insecure that we can't trust others. We want to be able to do it all ourselves. We don't want anybody to have to help us. We want to figure it all out, get it all in our own world, and put us all right here. You know? Do you know we need each other? And not only do we need each other, but our needing of each other is what the body of Christ is. And when we figure out a way not to need each other and not to trust each other and not to have to trust each other, then we figured out how not to be the body of Christ. That's what the Bible talks about rich people not being able to enter into the kingdom of God because they've got everything they need. They don't need anybody. They don't need anything. That's why you can have tons and tons of resources and get a bunch of people together with a bunch of resources and never have a body of believers because they don't need each other. All they are is near each other. And near each other is not part of each other. It's a different thing. We don't want to be ruled by others. It's, we hate it. But yet in the body, somebody's being ruled by somebody all the time. In the body, you have to submit to the other parts of your body for it to work. I mean, you ever, you know, you guys ever work the bag? You ever punch? You know, you ever do this? I'm teaching my, of all people, I'm teaching my girls in the kitchen the other night how to, how to punch, how to kick. You know, Andy, I, this could be bad. Maybe, maybe they're going to show, you know, Corinne and Hannah how to do axe kicks or roundhouse kicks. If they do and anybody gets hurt at your house, I'm sorry. 
Uh, but, but I'm teaching the girls how to, how to punch. And, and, all the, I, and when you're trying to tell somebody, you, you, Bill, you know about this. When you're telling somebody in the, mil, you know, in the, in the military how to defend themselves, you're, you don't tell them to, to punch like that, right? You're telling them that if you really want to hurt somebody, your punch has got to come from your big toe. Wham! Right? And have the big toe connected to the leg, the arm, the, all these muscles in the back. Whoo! You, you hit somebody like that, and they're going to go down. You hit somebody like this, what's going to happen, Bill? Nothing. It's just silly. It's like, what is that? Are you playing patty cake with me? You know? I mean, Mike Tyson did not knock anybody out by going. You know, he went, whoo! You know? And all of that was a full body thing when it came together and it could take out anybody. All right? Now, that's what the body does. For the body to work, it must submit to each other. It must work together. It must create power together in losing its individuality and coming into doing something together. Now, I'm going to give you a quote, and I'm going to see if anybody can guess who said it, other than my children. And I want you to think about what they meant. Somebody said this. They said, Give me 26 soldiers of lead, and I shall conquer the world. Anybody know who said that? All right. This is going to be a little Paul Harvey. We'll get to that a little bit later on. All right. Now, studying the history of the Protestant Reformation, we can see this truth that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12 at work. We can see the many moving parts. Everybody say many moving parts of the body of Christ. You know, knowing history is a powerful way to see this truth. As I was looking into the many moving parts of the Reformation, there was one part that was particularly a good example itself of the example. You know, you can have an example of the example of the example. It's kind of like looking in one of those mirrors. You know, there's, you guys ever had this, a mirror on each side of you and you look into it and you can see like almost into eternity. There's a million of you into eternity. And I don't know if you've never seen it, it's kind of cool. This is like that. Now, when we looked at the coming of Christ into the world as a newborn babe in Bethlehem, we learned that God had done a lot in the world to prepare the world for his coming. Right? He didn't just show up on the scene. The Romans had conquered the known world that, and they had created a, what they call the Pax Romanus or the, the, the Roman peace. And so you could travel around the world pretty easily without you know, entering into the conflict of some war somewhere. They had built roads. Uh, the Greeks, before the Romans had conquered, and all of the land spoke one language. How much easier is it to go around communicating if everybody speaks the same language, right? And there were good roads uh, for people to travel on, so things could be moved around. All this stuff happened leading up to the coming of Christ to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. And then, on top of it all, the Greek conqueror... Um, Alexander the Great had commissioned a beautiful, in a beautiful expressive language of Greek, had made uh, the Bible translated and it's called the Septuagint. All of this was in place for the coming of Christ and the apostles because they had a book in the language everybody could read, because they had roads and they had peace. All of this set the stage and so when Christ came, everything was ready for him. Now in the same way that happened, God prepared the world for the coming of uh, of the Reformation. By the time Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of Wittenberg Church in 1517, everything was ready for him. Now, 
This is what I love about studying history. Watching God in history prepare it and make things ready so when the guy comes... Now, there were other guys probably just as brave or probably just as smart or even just as defiant as Martin Luther. But Martin Luther stepped on the world stage at a time that God had prepared for him that was just right for it. Okay? And so, by the time Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door, everything was set. In the years before Luther, the world had moved at a slower pace academically and politically. Change came slowly because important events and important written works could only ebb across the continent as they were painstakingly hand-copied by artisans at great expense. When I saw this, uh, the, the amount that a book cost, it staggered my mind. Handwritten books could cost more than men earned in several years if they saved every penny that they earned one book, hand copied, would cost more than years and years and years of income. And so people couldn't own books. More than it cost kids to build a house was one book. The fact that most of the world could not read the Bible in their own language kept many in the dark from the light of the truth of God's word and left them to be manipulated and ruled by ungodly men who had been put there. They had gotten into the church and began to rule the church. In the mid-1300s, John Wycliffe, known as the Morning Star of the Reformation, had worked in England with his Lollards translating the Bible into Latin, uh, or I mean from Latin into English, and was, you know, he didn't go straight to the Greek and Hebrew, but he wanted people to be able to read it, and so he was preparing the way. He worked really, really hard. If you've ever seen a Wycliffe Bible, which I have in a couple of museums, it's pretty neat to see. He's probably... One of my biggest heroes. But he paved the way for another guy, William Tyndale, one of the greatest men that ever lived in in our culture and life, who made the English language what it is today. William Tyndale went straight to the Greek and straight to the Hebrew and translated the Bible, boom, into the the language of English. And it's actually why we have the Bible that we have. Jacques Lefebvre de Staples of the University of Paris worked in France and he translated the Bible into French from the original languages. Can you see what God's doing? God's giving an English Bible. Then God's giving a French Bible. And Martin Luther's translating what? He's translating the Bible into what? Into German. So now we have the Bible in German. And we have the Bible in English. And we have the Bible in French. Which basically was the whole world had now just gotten the Bible in their language for the first time. And God was doing all of this and he was putting it all together. When Martin Luther put his 95 theses on the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, I was telling the guys up here, I looked it up. Do you guys know the door, same door is still on that church? You can go to that door in Wittenberg, Germany. How many bets Pastor Mark's going to make it away, make his way to that door one day? Yeah, he, yeah, it's going to happen. You're all going to hate me for it. I know. I'm going to be standing, with, I'm going to be making a selfie of myself in front of that door one day. It's going to, going to happen, okay? I'm going to go to lots of places. It could be very discouraging for all of you, but it'll be exciting for me. <laughs> he had no idea that when he put his 95 theses on that door, that somehow, that someone was going to take it off and take it down to the local copy shop and print it. He had no idea. But you see, this is the thing that history had prepared itself for a Luke that was different than any other time. Because he put it on there 
it was their custom that if you had something to discuss, you nail it, you know, we're going to have a discussion. And it was even written in a language, it was written in the, their, their church vernacular, in their language. The regular guy in the street could not understand it. So it wasn't, he wasn't trying to cause trouble. He was trying to get a discussion going, but somebody said, oh, this is too good. We're going we're gonna to put this out so everybody's going to be able to read it. And it went all over the place because they had something they had never had in the world before. One thing, this new invention made the work of all these men spread like the rays of the rising sun across the world. Anybody know what it was? It's the printing press. The invention was the movable type printing press. And the man who invented it, what was his name? His name was Johann Gutenberg. Without the printing press, it can be argued that there could not have been a reformation at all. Slow change, regional change was possible, but the kind of change that brought about not only the Reformation, but the Renaissance and a scientific revolution that changed the world and has even brought us the internet, of all things, came about because of these things. People could not only learn things, but then they could write them down, and then the next generation could read what they wrote down, and then they could build on top of those. And so the building blocks of science, people say, why was the world this way for 6,000 years? And it changed. It changed because of this. Time and A&E and National Geographic, they all agreed that the man of the millennium for a thousand years, what was that man's name? It was Johann Gutenberg and his wonderful machine. He was born in 1400 in Mainz, Germany. He was a blacksmith, a goldsmith, a jewel cutter, an inventor, and an entrepreneur. And for all of you little ones out there, an entrepreneur is someone who is always trying to figure out a way to make money. All right? Making money is not a carnal thing. It's not a bad thing. Making money is a good thing. And uh, the inspiration to make money. When a book cost, uh, Steve, when a book cost is more than it costs to build a house, how many think that might be a good thing to figure out how to make? Yeah, so he was pretty smart. So he was thinking, in fact, he knew that he was onto something so much, Jeff, that he did it all, he did all of his work in secret. Like he said that his idea came to him like a ray of light hit him in the head. Like, wow, this could be done. And so he made this secret workshop and began to work. He was certainly a Christian, but very little is known about his personal life. Do you know no one wrote about his life? No one kept track. No one remembered. No one cared. Uh, so no one even knows about his life at all. The only way that we learned about him is through court documents, which I tried to read a bunch of them. But fortunately, the church kept good records and the local court took good records. But no one wrote about his life. And so they basically threw suits against him and all kinds of things, learned little details about his life, but that's all they know. We learn from the execution of his father's will after his death when he was between 15 and 20 years old that, and through these contracts, all that we know about him. What's most important for us today is that he was not a preacher. Everybody say he was not a preacher. He was not a great theological doctor of the church. He, he was not a great reformer. His piety did not inspire others as St. Anthony of the desert might have. He did not suffer. He did not survive great persecution as many of those that we normally talk about in the history of the church. He was a man working as most other men do, trying to figure out a way to earn a living. Some, sometimes people belittle that, but that's really what most people do. And that's what God calls them to do. And without them doing that, 
then many wonderful things would never happen. People sometimes belittle that I want to, you know, one day I want to do something really important with my life. Well, what is that? What are you, the important thing you're going to do is what God has made you to do. It is not more spiritual to be the man in the pulpit. It is not more spiritual to get to be the guy who does, you know, gets out and gets, you know, burned at the stake. I would love to be burned at the stake. That would be fantastic. I would hate it. I, I shouldn't say it so crazy, but in a sense, I would love to be a martyr for Christ. I think I would. Maybe I would recant. Those things are exciting. Those are the things that we put in books and stories. Those are great things. But nobody thinks about a guy who's in a workshop, you know, working on a piece of metal for hours at a time going, oh, look at that great thing that he's doing. But the thing he was doing was the great thing. This is what people have a hard time understanding. They end up despising what they do. They end up thinking what they do is not important. They end up missing the fact that without their role and without their contribution, nothing would get done. And they say, well, no one sees what I do. Well, no one sees what a lot of parts of your body do. But that's all right. Anybody know exactly what your kidney's doing right now? Anybody imagine what your spleen might be doing? You have capillaries that are just, you know, they're working hard right now. You have a heart that's just pumping, 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 pumping. Nobody ever takes a picture of me. Nobody ever puts me on Facebook. Nobody ever likes anything, you know. I don't get loves and likes and balloons and I get none of that. He was a man working as most other men. Well, without him, most likely we would never have learned about the great men that we talk about. Because you see, they're in books. And they would have never been in the books unless the man had figured out a way to print it. You see, God uses people in all walks of life to do His holy will, not just great teachers or brave missionaries. The work of God is made of many moving parts, all of which are necessary. Researching Gutenberg's life brought this truth in a particular way to me. You see, the machine that he made itself is made of many moving parts, all of which must be made to work together to do what it was made for. I was so amazed, Andy, when I read that when they put out uh, the first pages of his famous Gutenberg Bible, it's 42 lines, that they would print six pages at a time that would have to be cut up and then put together. That to do that one six-page print, Andy, 100,000 individually handmade characters. Can you comprehend this? I mean, when we want new font, you know what we do, Benita? We click up there and we go, I think I want Verdana or Times New Roman or Sanskrit or whatever. You know, I'll, I'll just clue you guys that Verdana is the font I use. It's, it's, I don't know why. I knew a woman named Verdana one time. And so, but I actually like the font, okay? I used to mower grass. Uh, and then Tim motor grass for a while. She lives somewhere in Grove City. Kind of a neat. Anyway. These font, you get the font. They had to literally, individually, make every letter out of metal. Can you picture this? Can you picture? I'm working. What are you doing today, honey? I'm working on the number, the letter R. Only nine hundred. You know, only nine thousand. Only ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine more to go to be able to make the first page print. It's like Edison who invented the light bulb. For, he tried 10,000 different elements before he came to tungsten. And then he had to figure out that wouldn't even work unless it was in a vacuum. If you don't know about these people's work, you miss the fact that it takes diligence and hard work and excellence. And all of these things work together for making things wonderful. This is what God does. 
100,000 characters. This, is, this boggles my mind. I can't comprehend that. But his book was a masterpiece. The, it, was, it was made in medieval script. And it's gorgeous. If you haven't seen it, God bless me. We went to London and we went to the British Library. And you can walk right in there, Andy, and you can look at it. Now, you know what I think is funny, Andy? Is do you know how much that book is worth? It's nearly worth $100 million. Now, no thief apparently knows this because there's not, a, there's not any more guard on the British Library than there is on the Grove City Library. There's a $100 million book sitting in there that we went and looked at. The Library of Congress has one. There's two in the British Library of these Bibles that were printed. Amazing. To get to this point, it took years of skilled labor with wood and metal and carving and ingenuity to make it come together. And you know, I'm reading about it and I'm thinking about all the pain he went through. Because you hear about him because he's being sued. Because he's making contracts. Because Eddie, he's going to people going, you know, could I have a little bit of money? Because I'm really building this really neat thing, but I can't really tell you about it. (laughs) That would be a little hard sell. What are you doing over there? Well, I can't really tell you about it exactly, but it's going to make a ton of money. Well, okay, here's 800 guilders. All right. You know, I've been working for two years, and I'm almost there, and I really need some help. What do you need? I need 800 more guilders. Okay. And he's borrowing from his relatives, and he's going into court, and people are getting angry with him, and he's going, I'm trying, I'm trying. There was a guy named Fust, and this guy finally just says, whatever you need, I'm going to give it to you, and he gives him a, he gives him a bunch of money. Now, we don't know the whole story about it, but we know that Fust eventually took him to court and said, I want it all. And he takes Gutenberg's press, he takes the Bibles, he takes everything, and Gutenberg is like, I failed. And that's how Gutenberg lived his life. He didn't, he, 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 he wasn't rich, he wasn't important, no one even knew him, no one wrote his name down. In fact, he ends up dying and being buried in a Franciscan church, and they tear the church down, and then they dig up the graveyard and get rid of it too. But, what, what, but was he important? Yeah, I think so. By God's great, a gift of great determination and imagination, this great work touched the world. But we must be reminded that this great work was merely the sum total of countless little seemingly insignificant works. You see, writers are vital. But that role is dependent on many others. Without the great inventor Gutenberg, the things that reformers wrote may never have been read. Or at least... Very little read. The circulation of them would have been narrow. But to get the idea, he would need money. Lots of money to make it into a reality. He needed investors. Those that were going to lose money. He needed the skills of craftsmen and the cleverness of an engineer to figure out how to make it work. History tells us that it was not until 1400, the year of Gutenberg's birth, that paper had been invented. Here's another thing. Paper was invented, but they didn't figure out a way to mass produce it until the year Gutenberg was born. And so once God was preparing the world, he was like, okay, you know what we're going to need? We're going to need some paper because something's about to come out that the world has never imagined. And so in the year of the birth of Gutenberg paper, they figured out a way to make paper like they had never made. After all of this, it would take distributors to get the books and the pamphlets out to the people. But before Gutenberg would make his beautiful masterpiece, his 42 Line Latin Bible, he is believed to have first printed something else. Now, this is part maybe you don't know. Do you guys know those indulgences that Martin Luther was so mad about? Guess who was printing them on his printing press? 
It was Gutenberg. Gutenberg was a member of his church. And they were like, yep, we're going to do this new fundraiser, you know, and we're going to need a lot of these. And so, and Gutenberg's like, I can help with that. And so Gutenberg's press was churning out indulgences before it ever made his Bible. Why? Because he was just trying to be a part of his church. So he was working for the enemy, but didn't even know it. Something else he did, I'll just throw in here for fun, but he... There was a tour by, that, that was put together, uh, a, a group of relics put together by Charlemagne, who had lived 700 years before him, of all of these relics and pieces of the bones of the saints or whatever. And, Andy, they were so crazy that they believed that if you couldn't make it to the tour, that you could buy these mirrors that were made of metal. And if you could shine them on there to where you could see the relics in the mirror, then they brought back special power. And then you brought them back to your relatives who couldn't go. Well, guess who? Figured out a way to mass produce these mirrors. Gutenberg. And so he mass produced the mirrors, but then the tour got canceled and then he got stuck with all the mirrors and no money. And he was like, you know, this guy's living a rough life, right? But what is he? As rough a life as he was, he even gets sued by a girl who in, in Stroudsburg who says she, you know what, he's been coming over to my house and eating dinner at my mom and dad's table and making me think he's going to marry me, but he never did marry me, that skunk. And he got sued. He had to pay some money to the family for breaking this girl's heart. Yeah. By the time Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses, some 77 years later, the press was now in full swing. It was, it was, they had time to work out all the kinks that Gutenberg had invented this machine and they had time to work it all out. And so it was 77 years later after the press was invented that, that Martin Luther did this, wrote, wrote his theses. It may have been a nameless man that took Martin Luther's paper to the printer that did as much to start the Reformation as Martin Luther himself. And he was a great leader. But what, had ha- what happened? No one took it down and printed it and circulated it and got everyone in an uproar. Maybe no one would ever heard about it. Gutenberg himself did not become rich or famous as I told you. In fact, he died with very little money. In, 1640, or in 1468, he was buried at a Franciscan church. His contributions were, main, were largely unknown. The church and the cemetery, as I told you, were later destroyed. But the fact that his grave is lost and, 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 and that it was there in particular gives some people hope that, you know, he had gone to a life of voluntarily gone to a just, just, hey, I want to live a life of poverty and I want to go live at this church. In our Old Testament reading today from Exodus 35, we hear how God used all skills from different people as they put together the tabernacle for the worship of God. I was picturing it. I was picturing, you know, some ladies are sewing and some are embroidering and, and some are working with this and with that. And it's a beautiful thing. And God sometimes in the physical things we do gives us a picture of the contribution that we play in the kingdom of God. Whether heats up on that, you know, uh, screwing in screws of drywall with me in there or, you know, popping chalk lines on it so we know where the screws are or, or whatever. Someone was here, I think, last night mopping the floor. These little things, they, those are physical things and this is a building, but we've got to see this in, more, in a more direct way in our lives and in how we work to reach the lost and of how we uh, advance the kingdom of God. We all play a different role. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm just going to, as I close, I'm going to kind of work my way through it a little bit. I'll try not to go too long, but he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. People, don't be ignorant today that we all have different roles to play 
and that we are all part of the moving body of Christ. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, it says in verse 2. You see, your life was led. He was telling them it was meaningless, purposeless. You were losing yourself for nothing, but God is calling you to lose yourself for the body of Christ to be put into action in the world as a dwelling place, God's dwelling place with men. He tells them that the gifts are spiritual, that it's a fruit of the evidence that the Spirit dwells in you, that the Spirit is putting you in the place that He has ordained for you. Did you hear it in the reading? It's explained. It says, why do you have this gift? The Spirit gave it to you. Why? And He has set you in the place where He wants you. God is sovereign. You might be sitting there frustrated in it, and God is saying, hey, godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't be frustrated that you're not doing something else live where you are do what you're doing be satisfied with the role that god's given you and you can have joy in it if you're always looking at someone else's yard and someone else's house and someone else's life and someone else's job and going oh i wish that was mine then you're missing it all god has given us life he's given us salvation and he's given us a job that we can do and we need to be satisfied with it rather than looking at the thing that we're not doing It's going to look different for everyone, every family, every particular church and individual. But that's the way God planned it. You know, I love to go to Heritage Church and visit with those people. But I bet you the youngs are sitting there going, this is not what we do at our church. It's not exact. Now, there are some things, but this is a really different place. Yeah, it is. That's all right. My goal isn't to go, you know, Marion, how can I make this like Heritage Church? Hopefully Marion would go, you can't. No more than you want to get the same haircut that I've got. Straighten up, Mark. Get a life, right? And we have a life here. When we go visit, we shouldn't go, well, I wish my church was like that. I wish we had a 75-foot tall pipe organ that someone could play standing on their head. That would be great. Just kidding. I know you don't have that yet, but you're, you're working on it. So... These differences may seem to be difficult up close, but they are working into a big picture, the grand scheme of something larger than any one of us. For the one is given this spirit, and he, he goes on and he names the different ones. But it says in verse 11, it says, To all these, it is the selfsame spirit dividing to every man as he has will. Everybody say, as God has will. This isn't about one day I'm a hand, but when I grow up, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be an eyeball. It's not like that. God puts us where he wants us. For as the body is one half many members, all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is in Christ. You know, when when the face gets a selfie, the whole body gets honored when it gets a hundred likes. You understand that? You know, if I get to go, uh, and, and maybe I get to go represent the church, and I go to Heritage Church and I preach, and they're like touched by my ministry, or I'm working in South Carolina, you are a part of that as well. If God, you know, awards, you know, one of the Goldsmith girls with the greatest pig in the Fairfield County Fair, then we can be proud, you know? This is us. This is how we rejoice together when God blesses Luke's business. It's like, man, when when I hear he's at the Proctor Center and he's doing good work, that's you doing it too. We're all one part of the same thing when we reach out. Rather than, you know, if Luke's ever there going, well, everybody's not at the Proctor Center today. I mean, if people were spiritual, they'd be here. I was up all night and I mean, I do extra stuff. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. No. 
Luke should be like, I get to be at the Proctor Center. I get to go over here. I get to minister to those people over there. I get to, I get to be at the Mount Sterling Community Center. Wow. God, thank you. That's how we're supposed to live. That's what Paul is teaching. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Everybody say one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, we've all been made to drink in one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body? It is therefore not of the body? You may be sitting here and go, you know, I don't really do anything in the church. Do you know, I bet you there's a lot of parts of the body, if you could talk to them, they would kind of go, I don't really do anything in the church. You know, I don't have a purpose. Yeah, yeah, you do. You may not know what it is, but you do. You may just go, well, all I do is take, 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 take. Yeah, imagine being a mouth, you know. So the hand is always giving, 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 giving the mouth food, right? And then the hand goes, nobody ever gives me anything. The mouth goes, well, when do I ever get to give? Well, you know, sometimes when the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, you know, God blesses people with the ability to give. That's what they do. I wish I could do that. If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased Him. Everybody say, as it pleases Him. It's pleased God that you are what you are. It's pleased God that you do what you do. Do it all to the glory of God. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In everything, give thanks to God for this is pleasing to Him. Amen? Not everybody gets to do everything everybody else does. That is discontentment working its way out as the enemy accuses the, the, your brothers and accuses God in your ear. Shut him out. For now are they many members but one body. I am so thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. And I'm thankful for what he gives me to do. I could complain about my job. I could tell you all about all the nasty things I have to hear, all the difficult people I have to deal with, all the people who, you know, hate me because I'm trying to help them. Happens to me. I get all kinds of hate. My my kids, they, they hear it, whatever. It's just what it is. I'm so glad. I'm thankful. Oh, you know, I got to write. I mean, imagine if you had to write a full term paper every week of your life. Would you like that? Imagine if everyone was listening to every word that you had to say and they could Google. There's Google now. You can find out if I'm making it all up. I mean, that's pretty, that's a lot of stress. Everybody has got a job. And you know what? I was telling Andy, I said, I'm so thankful that I get to study and, and, and read the word. I'm so th- I was, you know, I was sitting, I was up here thinking as, as uh, Jonathan was praying you know, I feel, you know, part of the reason you, this is just, can I vent a little? It is my birthday. Can I, can I vent a little? I was lamenting that I don't pray as much as I wish I could. But prayer for me feels selfish. Time alone. Nobody's worrying. You know, I'm not having to worry about, it. I'm just shutting out the world. I, I don't, I hardly ever get away and pray ever. But do you know, prayer is my job. If you read in first Corinthians or if you read in Acts chapter six, it says we need to do this is so that these men may dedicate themselves to what? To prayer. 
into the ministry of the word. And I was sitting here as Jonathan was praying and he said, you know, I hope everybody's praying. And I'm like, man, I would love some more time to call out your name before God, to pray for you, to think of you. And, and maybe I just need to not see it as selfish time for me. And maybe it's my job. I guess that's for me. Much more of the members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary. Those members of the body which we think are less honorable. Upon those we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. There's a lot we could get into that. But not everybody sees what you do. And you know what? That's all right. Not everything is to be seen. In fact, the Bible says many of the things that we do should never be seen. We're not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, right? We're supposed to give in secret that our Father may reward us openly. We're supposed to pray where other people don't see us. We're supposed to do good. God is sovereign. He has made you what He wants you to be. Complaining and being dissatisfied is a complaint against God, not against your situation, because God has made it. There's more I could say. I think I've taken up enough time. But I'll close with a few of these interesting facts that at least I thought were interesting. Once Gutenberg's Bible was finished, it sold for 30 florins each, which was, rich, was roughly three years' wages for an average clerk. Nonetheless, it was significantly cheaper than a handwritten Bible. It could take a single scribe over an entire year of his life to do. Could you imagine? I mean... When you're figuring out labor costs on a vehicle that you're building, Jason, could you imagine? It's going to take one man an entire year, all day long, every day. What would you charge for that? A pretty big, big money, right? Gutenberg, the Library of Congress, Washington, D.C., has these Bibles. But it was Gutenberg who said, Give me 26 soldiers of lead and I will conquer the world. And he was talking about the typed letters of the alphabet and he was right wasn't he right the world has been conquered for christ in many ways because of the written word through medicine science communication the soldiers changed the world and they're changing it today and i hope today that we can all be thankful for what god has made us and see the invisible hand of god visible in our life as he does in us molding and melting us into one another, knitting us together in his love and making us something. See, you, you can't change the world, but we can. And that's what the message is today. We can change the world if we would just do our part, be thankful for it, and understand that it is God that wills and works to do of his good pleasure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we be content For godliness with contentment is great gain. May we not be complainers. May we not be those that are always looking at others and wanting what they have and feeling that we deserve it. For God, what we deserve cannot even be uttered here. As we were going through the catechism this week with my family, what does every sin deserve but the wrath and the curse of God? And Lord God, I'm so thankful that my sins are not going to be remembered against me anymore that by your blood they have been covered 
And that not only have you forgiven me of my sins, but you've given me a job to do. A job serving this church and my family and my wife. And, and Lord, continue to give me a thankful heart. Continue to help me to, be, to show excellence in the work that I do for your kingdom because it's my job. It's my calling. Lord, I'm so glad you gave me this job. Lord, I pray that all of us today, Lord, would repent of our complaining, that we would repent of our discontent, and you would ask us, ask, we would ask you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit and give us eyes to see what you have made us in the kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.